are now in a series from the 23rd Psalm entitled, I'm Going Through It. And it's kind of there to change our confession because right now there's a whole lot of people who go, oh, I'm going through it. And we are going through it globally. This whole pandemic, people are going through it. And even as we starting to come out of lockdown here in Australia, there's fresh challenges, there's new things. There's still part of our world turned upside down and inside out. And we are going through it. But instead of having that kind of negative thing, oh, I'm going through it, we're picking up that key thought from the 23rd Psalm where David says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's the anchoring thing. And he says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. And that whole idea, I'm walking through it. I'm not camping in this dark valley. I'm not getting stuck in this dark valley. I am going through it. And that Jesus wants to bring you to this place of victory. I'm going through it. Somebody said of this Psalm, the 23rd Psalm, one of the most well-known passages of Scripture, that there's no Psalm in which the absence of doubt, misgiving, fear or anxiety is so remarkable. And it's anchored in the thought, the Lord is my shepherd and whatever is going on in my world, because He's my shepherd, I'm going through through it. And again, you might want to make that confession, that declaration in the chat right now. But today being Pentecost Sunday, I'm going to jump down a verse or two in the series and talk about a new anointing for a new day. And I think it's really relevant in the situation where globally, and like I said, in Australia, we're beginning to emerge from the lockdown. And things are going to be new. Things are going to be different. And we don't want an old anointing to go back to old things. We want a new anointing for a new day. And David says in Psalm 23, verse 5, speaking of the Lord who is his shepherd, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And here it is. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. You see, David has just spoken about going through the darkest valley, unafraid because God's presence is with him. And then he goes on to talk about being seated at the table of God's provision. Even though he's surrounded by enemies, by challenges, by difficulties, he's seated at the table of God's provision. And in that place of being seated, The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's your position, seated, relaxed in the place of God's provision. And he says right there, the Lord anoints him with fresh oil. And he says, my cup, my life overflows from that anointing, a new anointing for a new day. Jesus speaking and it's recorded in John's gospel, having taught over a few chapters, we create the chapters, but over a long discourse, talking about the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, concludes his statements in John 16, verse 33. I've told you this, that this is all the information, all the teaching, all the encouragement about the work, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He says, I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, I want you to catch this. 
He's been talking about the person and the work and the gift of the Holy Spirit to us. And he says, I've told you all of this because here on earth, it's going to be challenging. You're going to have sorrow. You're going to have difficulty. You're going to have things happen that you didn't expect. There's going to be things that are going to knock you off balance. But he says, I've told you about the Holy Spirit. I've told you what he can do in and through you. So you can be courageous. So you can experience my peace. So you can go through it. Because I've overcome the world and the Holy Spirit will bring the victory that Jesus accomplishes and bring it to bear in our lives. Obviously, the enemy, the devil is against that. And he's referred throughout Scripture as the serpent. It's one of the pictures, the images that he's given. In fact, in the book of Genesis, he appears as the serpent for the very first time. And he's always opposing what God says. In the book of Daniel, the scripture says this, Daniel 7, verse 25. He, speaking about the devil, will speak words against the Most High. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the laws. Another translation says he will try to change all law, laws, morals and customs. Now I want you to catch a few things out of this passage. Number one, it says that he will speak against the Most High. He started off as the cherub that covered the throne of God and was coordinated worship in heaven until iniquity was found in his heart and said, I want to be God. I don't want to worship God. And Jesus said, I saw him fall like lightning to the earth. And ever since then, he's opposed everything that God wants to do. He seeks to undermine it. And the first thing he does is speak against the Most High. And it's not just in terms of big announcements, things through the media. Yeah, that happens. But the whisper in your head, his voice to you is to speak against God, to defame God, to misrepresent God to you in your life. And it says and by doing that, he seeks to wear out the saints of the Most High so that he can facilitate his plan. So he can try and change the laws, the morals and the customs within a nation and push God out. That's what he's trying to do. But I want to pick up on that thing. He seeks to wear out the saints of the Most High to just wear down. Yes, sometimes we have this full frontal attack of the enemy. But mostly it's just the subtle pressure, the squeezing of our lives, the squeezing of life out of us that just wears us out and tires us. The phrase wear out is a Chaldean word that only appears once in Scripture in this instance. And it means to exhaust, to crush, to afflict, to consume, to harass continually. And that's what he does. He's just this harassing person who's continuing to find a little crack, a little gap, a little opening to put pressure in your life to wear you out. But God is bigger than that. And the power of the Holy Spirit is greater than that. And the refreshing and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Remember, David says, even seated at God's table of provision, I'm surrounded by enemies, but I'm at peace. And at that place in the midst of the pressure he that is Jesus anoints my head with fresh oil he anoints me 
and my cup overflows. There's not just enough for me, there's more than enough for others. I want to draw out something in this whole idea of the, the enemy coming and attacking us like a serpent and squeezing the life out of it. And there's a really interesting passage in Acts 16 and verse 16. Going to the house of prayer, this is Paul talking or Luke recording it. Going to the house of prayer, we encountered a young servant girl who had an evil spirit of divination. And it explains in the Greek what it is, the spirit of Python. And she earned great profits by her owners by being a fortune teller. So this demonic spirit that possessed her allowed her to tell people's fortunes and she was very valuable. But she is imprisoned not, by her, not only by her owners, but also by this demonic presence. But it's the spirit of Python. And it's really interesting because in that city where this is taking place, is Apollo's temple. And the spirit of Python is a symbol of Apollo, known as the Greek god of prophecy. And so this prophetic demon is used by these by soothsayers, and they often use ventriloquism uh, in order to bring in their prophecies. And I just find that an interesting thing out of history. The whole idea of projecting a voice to pretend to be someone else. And that's exactly what the devil loves to do. Remember, he speaks against the Most High so he can wear down the saints. And he projects his voice, pretending that it's God's voice to you. And it's the voice of discouragement. It's the voice of despair. It's the voice of negativity. But he twists it and misrepresents God. And he's done that since the beginning of time. When he first appears in Scripture, Genesis 3 and verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? And you can see it right there, this attempt to misrepresent, to twist, to distort what God is saying. Remember Daniel, he speaks against the Most High, misrepresents God to you so he can wear you down and wear you out. And the serpent, tying to this concept of the python spirit, the spirit of prophecy, not God's prophecy, but the enemy's prophecy, the devil seeks to prophesy to you about your future, and it's never good. And it wears you down and exhausts you, this niggling voice of negativity, of condemnation, of guilt, of shame, of telling you you don't have a future. When God says the exact opposite, you have a future, you have a hope, He has a plan, He has a purpose for you. And I want to speak this over your life, and you may want to put this in the chat. God is the author of your future. The devil may be able to read it, but he can't write it. I want you to catch this. God is the author of your future. The devil may be able to read it and try to twist it and distort it and misrepresent it to you, but he cannot write it. God writes your future. God writes your destiny. When you put your confidence, your trust in Him. And I love that. Look at Psalm 139 and verse 16. The psalm is celebrating how God created him. It says, you saw me before I was born and every day of my life was recorded in your book. 
He says, God, you saw me, you know me, you shaped me, you wrote a story for my life. And when you come to Jesus, you reconnect to God's story for your life. And the devil, the serpent will try and misrepresent. He will speak against the Most High. He will speak against God's plan, God's purpose for your life. But God writes the story. God is the master of your destiny, not the devil, not his negativity, but God's hope, God's power that comes to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The interesting thing about a python, or we should say the terrifying thing, is that it squeezes life out of its prey. It doesn't use poison like many other snakes do, but a python squeezes. And it has the ability to squeeze the breath, the life out of its victim without breaking a single bone. And that's an amazing thing, a terrifying thing. But I think it's a kind of a picture of what the devil tries to do to us when he speaks against the Most High and tries to wear down the saints. He's kind of wrapping his coils around us. And we hear the hiss of his voice, his negativity, his criticism, his dumping of shame and guilt and saying, you don't have a future. You're not going to get out of this. After this, all your dreams and hopes are lost. This won't happen and that won't happen. And he just squeezes. And every time the victim breathes out, it just tightens its coils a little bit more. So it's harder to breathe in. And many of us in the sense have heard the hiss of the serpent and felt those coils around us, literally squeezing breath, squeezing life out of us. I love something that Job says when he was under such pressure, under such attack. And again, he lends this imagery of the serpent and he makes a declaration about the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. It says, His Spirit made the heavens beautiful. His power and literally the power of God in the Old Testament represents the hand of God. And that's a picture of the Holy Spirit. His power, His hand, His Spirit pierced the fleeing serpent. And this is just the beginning of all that He does. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that such a powerful thing to have spoken of your life? That the, the Spirit who helped create the heavens and the earth as the Spirit moved and God spoke and it was, that Spirit pierces the fleeing serpent, not the attacking serpent. And when the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life, when you receive that power of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost Sunday, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, His hand pierces the fleeing serpent. The serpent flees. And that's just the beginning of what God, by His Spirit, wants to do in and through your life and for you. You see, we were created to carry the breath of God in us. Genesis 2 verse 7, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. I love to imagine what that was like. Because in all the rest of creation, as the Spirit moved and God spoke, it was. The whole universe, the detailed creation of everything in our world, God spoke and it was. And then there's kind of like this dramatic pause where there's this consultation between the members of the Godhead, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
And this conversation goes like this. Let us create humanity in our image and in our likeness. And it says, in the likeness and the image of God made He them, Adam and Eve. And then chapter two kind of gives you the close up shot of what happened. And God could have spoken and animated us, but He's doing something unique. He's doing something different. He shapes a clay figure out of the dust of the ground and the water that's there. And He shapes it into this perfect man. Probably looked a little bit like me. Not, not, but this perfect man. And again, He could have just spoken and animated, but He does something extraordinary. He kneels down and He breathes into humanity the breath of life, the Spirit of God. In the Hebrew, the Ruach, the breath, the wind of God, and we come alive. Stephen Sharnock, the Puritan reformer, said that from the dust of the earth, God molded and shaped a body to entertain a soul of heavenly extraction, formed by the breath of God. On oh, those magnificent words, shaped and formed out of the dust, a body fit to entertain a soul of heavenly extraction formed by the breath of God. Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as being our advantage. In John chapter 16, verse 7, remember I reminded you that in chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, he talks a lot about the Holy Spirit. And he says, nevertheless, speaking to his disciples, and then down through time speaking to us. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I wonder how that statement must have perplexed the disciples. They'd walked with Jesus for almost three years now. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd heard him teach astounding things right from the throne of God, right from heaven itself. They'd seen him perform other healings and miracles. And he says, guys, I want you to know something. You are better off if I'm not here, but I'm not going to abandon you. You're not going to be orphans. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and you are going to be better off with him than if I were to walk through life every day by your side. And of course, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, speaks of Jesus, brings the reality of Jesus and the power of his death and his resurrection and his glorious ascension to our lives. But he said, it's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit comes. And I think we need to be reminded of that. And it's great to do that on this day, Pentecost Sunday, when we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus. In Luke 24 and verse 49, Jesus spoke a lot about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And again, like I said, in Luke 24, 49, now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised but stay here in the city. For them, it was the city of Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. I want to ask you, have you been filled with this power from heaven? You see, you are born of the Spirit. 
But then the Bible speaks about a second distinct experience of experiencing the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We refer to it sometimes as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the whole total immersion of your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. So not just being born of the Spirit, but empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now I will send the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaking, just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city. Don't go and do anything until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. The Greek can be literally translated, clothes you, endues you, empowers you with the person of the Holy Spirit. St. Augustine said of the coming of the Spirit to our lives, that God does not give a gift inferior to himself. And the person of the Holy Spirit, he comes alongside to be your comforter, your advocate, your helper, your strengthener, the, the one who will guide you, who will speak to you, who will convict you of sin, of righteousness, of judgment, not condemnation and negativity, but move you forward through whatever you're going through. And so I want to land on just three simple thoughts on this Pentecost Sunday of receiving the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. The first thing is just breathe again. I'm speaking to people who have heard the hiss of the serpent, felt his coils squeezing life, squeezing breath. And there's kind of this increased exhaustion and desperation, literally trying to catch your breath in all the craziness that is going on around you. And the disciples experienced that when Jesus was crucified. And he stepped into the upper room, John 20, verse 21 and following, and he said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I'm prophesying that over people right now. Whether you're watching this on delay or watching it live, I want you to receive this. Jesus says to you, peace be with you. As he steps into your room, into your circumstance, into your life, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. There's purpose ahead. There's restoration of destiny ahead. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. It's almost saying, guys, just chill. I've got peace for you, I've got purpose for you, and I've got power for you. I like that. I've got peace for you, I've got purpose for you, and I've got power for you. Just breathe again and breathe in the Holy Spirit. You need to breathe again. Yes, you need to breathe oxygen and that's, keep doing that. But that sense of I am consciously, deliberately, intentionally breathing in the Holy Spirit. Because one breath, one impartation of the Holy Spirit changes everything in your life. And I'm believing for that in your life today. So breathe again. Get help again. Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper, the one who comes alongside. And in Romans chapter 8, a chapter filled with the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul says this, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. But I want you to catch this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. 
The word weakness is translated correctly, weakness, but it means our limitation, our lack of capacity. And if you feel in that, and I know I have through this period and other periods of my life, at that moment, instead of sensing condemnation or guilt or shame or negativity, instead of the serpent whispering and speaking against the Most High so He can wear you out as a saint of God, the Holy Spirit comes to help you in weakness. And that word that Paul uses there is an incredible word when he talks about the Holy Spirit coming to help. And he can't find a single Greek word. So what he actually does is join three words together and make one new word to talk about the help. And it's kind of, to translate it help is almost pathetic. But literally the picture is if you trying to move a massive log The Holy Spirit comes along and says, okay, you go to the light end and let me pick up the heavy end. And I hope you catch that picture. Some of you are trying to pick up the heavy end of what's going on in your life. The Holy Spirit says, no, I'll get that. I want you to be a part of it. You you need to be involved. I'm not going to do it for you. I'm going to do it with you, but I'll pick up the heavy end. So breathe again, get help again. And the final thing, and I really want you to catch this on Pentecost Sunday, is prophesy again. On the day of Pentecost, as the Spirit is poured out in the upper room and they spill out into the streets and start prophesying glorious things about what God is up to. And people ask, what's going on? Peter goes back to the prophet Joel and he quotes from the book of Joel. In the last days, says God, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Maybe you want to put that in chat. All flesh, everyone. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. I'm claiming that. And your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and my female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. He says, even on the slaves, and you've got to get this, in the Old Testament, only kings, priests and prophets were anointed of the spirit. And he says, no, in this new day, in this new covenant, the coming of the spirit, the refreshing, the renewing of the spirit is for everyone, even the slaves, sons, daughters, young men, old men, young women, old women, visions, dreams, and the ability to prophesy. And when God speaks of prophecy, it's about declaring the goodness of God, the comfort of God, the love of God, the power of God, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life and over others. Ezekiel chapter 37, I know I've got a bit excited, but you need to stay with me on this. He, He talks about seeing a valley of dry bones. And this valley of dry bones, we don't know exactly what it is, but it seems to be connected to an historic event when the army of Israel was defeated and vanquished, defeated by the enemy. And all that's left are the skeletons, the evidence of defeat, the evidence of failure, the evidence of not being strong enough, not being good enough. Those things that we feel in our heart from time to time. We think in our minds from time to time. And God says to this prophet Ezekiel, in this place of defeat, in this place where your hope was cut off, 
where everything dried up, where there seems no life. In this place, can these bones live? And I want to ask you, what's dry in your life? Where do you feel hope has been cut off in your life? Because right now the Spirit of God is going to come upon you so you can prophesy to the valley of dry bones, so you can speak to that place of defeat, so you can speak to that place of hopelessness where you feel your hope was cut off. And he says to him, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Just get that. Listen to these words, prophesy and say to the dry bones, say to the dryness, say to them where the enemy has whispered and spoken against the Most High and has sought to wear you out and squeeze breath out of you. Well, begin to prophesy into that and say, hear the word of the Lord. One of the most powerful things you can prophesy over your life is God's promises. Get a hold of God's word and prophesy His promises over your life, over your circumstance and begin to see the dry bones get life again. Prophesy the power of the Holy Spirit into those situations. And he says, declare what the sovereign Lord says. The devil is not the master of your future. The sovereign Lord, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he determines your future and your destiny. And it all starts off with the fact that he is your shepherd. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And what we've been looking at is seated at God's table of provision, surrounded by challenges and the attack of the enemy. God still provides, God still protects, but He does more than that. He anoints your head with oil, a fresh anointing for a brand new day so that your cup, your life can overflow. That's what the Good Shepherd has promised. And I want to ask you this question. Is the Lord your shepherd? Is Jesus, the good shepherd, your shepherd? And if he's not, you can make it so. Or perhaps he was, but you've drifted. Well, you can come back and say, Jesus, I want you to be my shepherd again. Jesus is the good shepherd. Because if the Lord's not your shepherd, not your, if Jesus, sorry, is not your Lord, then he's not your shepherd. And if you're living life without God at this time or at any time, you ought to be concerned, but you can change it and then receive the fullness of the power of the Holy Spirit. The scripture says, if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. Listen to that. You will experience salvation if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will experience salvation. You will experience salvation. 